Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Sunday at uh, Emmaus Way. Thank you for being here. My name is Tim Carlos, and I'm very happy to be here. And uh, this evening, we're going to start with uh, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. And I rarely ask for uh, audience participation, but for this evening, if you could help me with this one, that'd be great. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. To save us all from Satan's path when we had gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Oh, God, our Heavenly Father, the blessed angel came. And unto certain shepherds, the tidings were the same. Tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Now to the Lord sing praises, all in this place, and with true love and brotherhood, each of us embrace. better than having an Englishman to lead us in God rest you merry gentlemen. Uh, welcome tonight to Emmaus Way. My name is Ben and we're glad you're with us. Um, a lot of, you know, this is first Sunday of Advent, so a lot of different rhythms for us, a lot of things happening differently. Um, one of the things that we always do, I'm looking for, yeah, is to do the lighting of the Advent candle. Uh, it's sort of a core part of, of guiding us through Advent each week. And I think Something we're doing a little differently this year is having a different family do that each week. And I think this week it is the Baines. So I'm going to invite them up to start us off that way. churches all over the world, we enter into the season of Advent. Advent is the beginning of a new church year and means coming or arrival. It is the four-week period we anticipate and prepare for that leads up to the coming of Jesus into the world as a baby in the manger. We start the season of Advent by emphasizing the importance of expectation. Many of us may approach expectation from a decidedly positive perspective. When, for example, we're sitting at our desk at 3 p.m. on a Friday and we're looking forward to a weekend away from work 
or a chance to do those things that there's neither time nor energy to get done during the week. But it's perhaps just as easy to experience expectation as something less than positive. The fear of going home to a difficult or strained relationship with parents, spouses, roommates, or kids. The anxiety and uncertainty of unemployment or financial insecurity. Waiting for the results of a career-defining test or a serious medical examination. All of these involve expectation as well, though of a far more uneasy variety. In the Gospel of Luke tonight, we see Jesus confront us with the sense of expectation that is rooted in apocalypse. In its most literal sense, the word apocalypse refers to the exposure of something hidden or the disclosure of something secret, which on its face seems like potentially a good thing. As Christians, we often celebrate the ways that God discloses God's self to the world in the most unlikely places, on a criminal's cross, through the breaking of bread among friends, or in the body of a vulnerable child laying in the manger. And yet, this disclosure also seems to have some pretty intense side effects. Signs in the earth, moon and stars, oceans are quaking, nations in the uproar, the Son of Man coming in a cloud. These texts remind us of a world dominated by the presence of God. In its simplest form, we are told something big is already happening in our midst, and that we, Jesus' followers, must be alert and ready for God, ready for God who might return at any moment. The first week of Advent invites us into the space of the not yet. We must enter the space prepared to wait with all the excitement, fear, anxiety, and hope that it contains. Throughout our gathering tonight, we will consider the ways that this type of expectation may affirm or challenge our experience of the season through our station worship, the lectionary texts, at the Eucharist table, and as we sing songs of the season together. But let us begin Advent observation by lighting the first candle on the Advent wreath as we communally begin our journey toward the coming of God. Thank you very much, Brandon and Nydia and Azalea and Aiden and Adelaide Bain for starting us off in that way. We'll be hearing from three more people. If you don't know, it might be you. No. Um, so yeah, uh, kind of continuing into our Advent tradition or starting that up for the next four weeks, um, we always switch our community song by the season. Um, so this will be the first week of a new community song that's Advent-themed, um, and so I'll have our kids lead us in that. Oh, come, come, come. 
Thank you, Joel and kids. So, kicked off in that way. Welcome again. Glad that you're here with us on this first week of Advent. Um, if you're relatively new to a Mass way, we like to talk about ourselves as a community that's been captivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ and are seeking to live that out um, in life together, gathered here through the week, individually, and in all sorts of ways out in our community. Um, yeah, so this is a time where we'll usually check in on some different things happening around the community. Announcement-wise, I want to like look around the room and see if there's someone that's going to have something like that. Totally make something up. If you would be willing to leave the Advent wreath, let me know. I'm looking for people. See, I wasn't joking. If it, if you don't, it may be you. <laughs> Other things, community type announcements. Again, people are relatively new. A couple of things I try we try and mention regularly. There's always um, a yellow card out in the foyer where you can give us your information if you want to get them on one of our community listservs. There's a green card out there that will tell you more about ways that you could plug into our community at this or any other time of year, um, ways to get in contact with staff, people, leadership, all that sort of stuff is all available out there. Um, yeah, anything else that I missed? What? Phil. That's, yeah, yeah, Phil wants us to know that the Super Bowl is happening again this year. The Silver Bowl. The Silver Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> so hardcore. I was trying to discern, like, how Phil had become that big a football fan. <laughs> but no, yeah, Phil, tell, there is a silver bowl in the foyer as well, where you'll take donations. Um, we're a community that's supported by donations from inside this community. We don't have any sort of external support. And so, yeah, this is a time of year where people are thinking about giving back, um, tax year implications, all that stuff. And, yeah, I certainly invite you to consider Emmaus Way as you're thinking about those things. Um, yeah. So with that, I'll maybe transition a little bit into um, the rest of our Advent together. You'll find, you know, there's a lot of things we do differently. We always do worship stations. You see those set up around the room. Molly will be introducing those a little bit more um, in a minute. Tim is going to do our homily tonight. We always sort of adopt our usual dialogue style into a shorter, crisper um, Advent homily. I would say crisper. Crisper? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, make it like the Super Bowl if you can. Um, but a little bit about music tonight. I think this was a lot of times, um, and, and we will still do this. We'll have a big music week on the 13th. Actually, that's something we should mention. Yeah, just almost. Okay, so on the 13th, for example, Mark's going to bring in a big band, our lead artist, Mark Williams. Um, and something special we're hoping to do that this year, and you'll see this in the stations as well, is to partner with one of our missional partnerships and make that a benefit for them. Um, does anybody who knows a little bit more about what we're going to be supporting, you want to ask? Okay, or, yeah. I'll be talking about it in the oh, Molly will talk about it in the stations, but that's on the 13th. We're basically um, gathering a bunch of musicians together, inviting people from outside of Massway to come join. We'll be taking up money to try and support a specific project that Religious Coalition is doing. Um, so that's the 13th. Um, you know, next week and the 20th, we'll have, you know, so, continue this stations process. Tonight, in the first week of Advent, I wanted to say just a little bit about how music, I see music working there tonight. Um, the lead-in that Brandon and, and Nydia and family gave, I thought, is just 
really, really kind of nails what we're after musically. This is the sense that we always have during Advent that we're expecting things, um, and we're, that's not simply a positive thing. That even as we're expecting and getting ready for Christmas Day and God's arrival and what that might mean, we're also spending some time reflecting on the broken places in our world um, that are that places that are in desperate need of that sort of arrival. Um, and that's something we like to do with music in general. We talk about music in a way being a primary activity of the church. Um, and one of the reasons why we see it as a primary activity is the way that it invites us to think about God at work redemptive, redemptively in the world. Not just in a sort of like positive, happy-go-lucky sort of way, but inviting us to look at the things that are broken and consider them and what it might be like to see God moving redemptively in those places. So I think we have a couple of musical pairs that do that for us tonight. Um, it, inviting us to reflect, um, but also inviting us to look through those points of dark reflection towards a sense of expectation. So I think musically we're sort of asking what God's sudden arrival might mean for us as citizens of the most incarcerated nation in the world, or as beneficiaries of the most ecologically consumptive economy in the world, or as just members of a community community where many of us have longed hope for things that we've yet to see arrive. So that's some of the rhythms we're going through music in other ways tonight. Sort of throw that out there. Tim, if you'd come and lead us in these couple of songs. try and learn, <coughs> learn the lyrics of songs that I'm singing, but I, this was all thrown together at, r- at rather the last minute today, or in the last couple of days. So bear with me. Um, so first up we've got a song called Christmas in Prison from J- John Prime.
the chess game with someone I admire Or the picnic in the rain after a prairie fire The heart's as big as this whole goddamn jail oh, I can't see, sorry She's sweeter than the saccharine after a drugstore still Oh, wait a while, eternity Oh, Mother Nature's got nothing on me oh, Come to me, come to me, come to me now I'm for my sweetheart and I'm flowing by Lighting his billiard swings round with a gun And the spotlights, the snowflakes like dust in the sun It's Christmas in prison, there'll be music tonight And I'll probably get homesick, I love you, good night. Wait a while, eternity Oh, Mother Nature's got nothing on me And come to me, come to me to me now We're rolling my sweetheart And we're flowing back Wait a while Old Mother Nature's got nothing on me Come to me, come to me Come to me now We're rolling my sweetheart And we're flowing back Sorry about that. I, I, I fluffed a little there. As I just couldn't see the, the typeface with the light here. Yeah, you're very kind. So, up next, we've got a song from Paul Simon from one of his... Uh, from his last album, actually. Um, albums, if you're unaware, So Beautiful, So What? And this song is uh, getting ready for Christmas Day. Time back, this ending up the way it began. But the 
With the luck of a beginner, he'll be eating turkey dinner on a mountaintop up in Pakistan. I'm getting ready, I'm getting ready. For the power and the glory and the story of Christmas Day. at Emmaus Way. Um, like some of you, I am new. So this is my first experience with Advent stations of Emmaus Way. But when I've had relational meetings with folks and I ask them why they love Emmaus Way or what sticks out, um, this time and during Advent um, to go to each of the different stations as we're preparing for the coming of Christ is one of the most mem- memorable and meaningful experiences. So I'm excited for what is to come. Um, we have six stations this year. As a lot of you know, and some of you may not, they will be the same for the next, all the way through Christmas. Um, so don't feel like you have to get to all six tonight. Um, we do ask the, the open table. You make the open table one of your stations each week if you are moved. So Eucharist is wrapped into the station time. You will notice at the stations this year, um, that there is a focus on the Religious Coalition for a Nonviolent Durham and on this idea of violence and peace and how we really are living in a violent world. Um, From our news, from perhaps microaggressions we experience, um, violence is all around us and we often long for peace or wonder where peace might be. And Marsha Owen at Religious Coalition and Mark Williams decided that we were going to partner with them on December 13th, our music night, as a community event to raise money for a project for them to create a food cart for the men who have recently come out of prison to have work and to have employment so they can have it on their 
CV and their resume so then they can go to other folks and get another job. But so, as we know, in our system, it's really hard once you've been incarcerated to find work. And so on the 13th, we had already decided that we were going to open Emmaus Way more broadly to the community and invite religious coalition partners from the community to come in. We are going to have a, we are going to have a great music night here, and we will pass a plate of some sort um, to collect money for that initiative. But as the aesthetics team was planning, um, we kind of wondered, what if we just sort of focus in on our mission partnership with Religious Coalition this Advent? And that's what we're doing. Um, because they do really meaningful work that is needed in our world and in our community. Um, and I think that their work of restoration and restorative justice and giving dignity and love and light to people in some of the most vulnerable, horrible times of their lives is kingdom work and work we are called into. So you'll notice that theme throughout the six stations. Well, not the making of reeds, but other than that, you'll notice the theme um, throughout the stations. And we encourage you to just sort of think about violence in our community, what violence means to you, how we might be agents of peace in our world, um, where and where we just need to pray or meditate and hope that our observation and belief in the incarnate God matters and that peace, there's peace and hope in that. Um, the one station I will kind of name is back here, we're making offering boxes where we are collecting another offering <laughs> over the next few months as a community. Um, Marsha Owen, we originally came up with the idea that we would write letters to families that have lost a loved one due to violence in our community. And Marsha said, no, I have a better idea. <laughs> I said, what? And she said, I didn't realize this, but the majority of persons in Durham who lose a loved one due to violence cannot afford to have a headstone for their child. And she said, one of the most painful things is the reality that their loved one will never be remembered, will be nameless once they die. And she asked, that we create an offering box during Advent, as many as you want. They're small, so like James and I already have one in our little in our car to put spare change. Kids, if you have children, just put them wherever. Just put spare change or a dollar, or if you want to write a check, put a check. From now, from Advent until Easter tide, and at Easter tide, we will bring our offerings back together, um, and give that money to a family so that they may have a headstone for their child. So I wanted to give a bit more explanation there. We have contemplative in the back, determina, I think I said it right, in the far, in the other corner. We're making peace flags in the middle. You can make a wreath on the stage. And then the box, creation of box, and then the Eucharist table. So pass the peace and then enter into the station time we have a good amount of time, so don't don't rush too much. Okay. So as we get started tonight, hey, I wanted to reiterate two quick things. Uh, first is a thank you to Tim Carlos, who is one of the the artists that I just love the most. He's been a 
at least a 10-year friend of Emmaus Way, and we had a, a double-booked artist, and he jumped into action yesterday, which is a real kindness to us. Thank you, Tim Carlos, for being with us uh, tonight. He's here all the time, but uh, we usually let him know more than a day in advance that he's coming, so thank you for that, uh, Tim. Um, the other thing, just I think most of you guys know um, Marsha Owen's work uh, with the Religious Committee for Nonviolent Durham. They do, a, they do some things that are fantastic. In addition to um, peop, uh, taking people who are formerly offenders and bringing them into community and life, uh, they also uh, work very, very closely with people who are the victims of violence. And one of the things that you will see, and I, I mention this because it may pop up on the Emmaus Way um, weekly that we send out or the announcements that we send out, is they do a vigil for every person who has been murdered or lose their life due to violence in Durham. And so if you see something that comes up and it's a random vigil for somebody that you don't know, that's actually Marsha's work. And it's absolutely fantastic because we have this strong tendency in our culture to want to disappear bodies uh, bodies that we're uncomfortable with. We like to ignore that they exist, look around them, pretend they're not there. And certainly bodies that are the victims of violence, we'd like to pretend that we live in cultures that, that are do not have violence in any way, form, or fashion. And those vigils mark those bodies and mark those lives and declare their presence among us. And it makes us a different community by doing that. So uh, so this the things that we're doing here, I think, are, are fantastic. And Marcia is been really excited uh, to, due to Molly's leadership and others that, uh, and Mark Williams's that Emmaus Way wanted to, to be a part of that. So thank you, Molly, and all the thoughtfulness that went with that. Uh, next week, I may give you a little tournament speech on this because that's a, uh, a art critical form that means a lot to me as well. But um, tonight, in just a few minutes, we're going to be really brief over Advent because we really want to be much more in an experiential mode. But I realized last week that I left you with an incredibly challenging question. Um, and I'll, I'll read that text again. This was from Mark 10, Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler. Uh, Jesus looks at the man, if you remember the story, and says, yeah, all it takes for you to be in my family is this. You lack one thing. Go sell what you own, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now, there's an incredible temptation to spiritualize that text. And to make it into symbol, make it non-economic, make it non-sacrificial. And uh, how many people have heard a sermon that might have in some way found a symbol for that text rather than, I've heard about 50, now I'm old. But, uh, but that's, and, and to your great credit, um, when I kind of gave that text back to you last week, you did none of the, that, of the sort. You took that hard text and you asked, well, how could that be scripture for our community? And you did that phenomenally well. Um, one of the things I was thinking about, about that text, is the whole idea of context. Um, and, and, and tonight, I want to make this point that context does mean everything. And the text that's the lectionary text for Advent this week is one that does offer a, a context to this radical demand that Jesus has made to give everything up, to give your whole life to his kingdom. This provides a context. And, and you know that context matters. For example, wouldn't you agree 
that it's phenomenally silly to work all day long, out of bed, maybe preparing food, going places, running errands, and doing stuff if you have the flu. I mean, that seems like an irresponsible thing to do, right? Except for how many parents in the room have done that. Uh, if, you've, if you've got a kid and you're taking care of a kid, you probably don't have the option to say, it's, I'm going to take a day off. Um, and so it becomes an entirely different thing in that context. Or wouldn't you agree with me here? It's probably incredibly foolish to rush to someone's side every time they're ill, every time they've got a problem, uh, perhaps even give them space in your house, even if they can't contribute to the work that's going on or rent or, I don't know, the electric bill or whatever. Um, And and it would be foolish to continuously pay for them and take care of their needs. Um, These are things that would be, sounds kind of codependent, unless you're caring for an aging parent or a sick friend, or somebody who's struggling, right? And how many of you guys have been in that situation where you've been a a caregiver for somebody in your family? Probably half the room or so. So context means everything. Uh, Something that might look like something that's crazy to do in one setting in another context makes all the sense in the world. And so this week we're going to look at a text that frames to some degree uh, the urgency of Jesus' demands, and it also gives us a little bit of insight into this expectation that we have of Advent, particularly the practices that we do as a community that aligns us with the expectations of Advent. If somebody would, and we're moving fast tonight, but if somebody would read this for me, it would be absolutely fantastic. It is the Luke, um, I mean, uh, Luke 21, 25 through 36 text. Um, was that, Andrew, was that a, a read? All right, thanks, Andrew. And there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud of power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your head, because the redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourself and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Be on your guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day does not catch you unexpectedly, like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. Thank you, Andrew. So, signs in the sun, the moon, distress among the nations, roaring seas. I... Some of you guys that have known me a long time know that I basically became a Bible reader in the ninth, seventh grade. I was a verse memorizer until then, but I became a Bible reader in the seventh grade. It coincided with the the, uh, publication of the Living Bible. So I went from the King James to the Living Bible, and so I started reading it. And somewhere I got to this text, and you want to take a guess what happened to me? 
It scared the crap out of me. I mean, this was a crisis. I mean, this was something that I would have never expected to find in my Bible. And I started asking questions. My parents, Sunday school teacher, pastor, and I got a lot of shrugs. Like, we have no idea what that means, but I assure you Jesus is nice. And, and that didn't sound very nice at all. So uh, this is a text that whenever we come to it, I... I um, I shudder because I remember the fear. I had nightmares about reading this as a kid. And one of the things that I didn't expect at that point is I didn't expect the presence of Jesus in this world to be cataclysmic or God's kingdom or God's presence or the spirit of God. I expected none of those things to be overwhelmingly cataclysmic. And to some degree, that gives us some sense of the intensity of the demands that Jesus made to the rich young man that he would have to, in some ways, give it all up, transform himself radically because literally the the world, the kingdom, that which was to come that Jesus imagined was a cataclysm. It was a radical changing. It was something where the world could never go back. And to some degree, um, this text uh, gives a little bit of uh, a sense of the radical demands, more specifically, that I think Jesus said to the rich young ruler. Um, let me write, read just one little sense of this text. This is from Walter Wink. I don't know if anybody's ever read it. He's a theologian in New York City at Auburn Theological Seminary. And he's making a point. I actually would not actually define the words exactly the way he uses them. But he's using the term apocalyptic um, it, with the idea of apocalyptic being cataclysmic. In the sense of eschatology, the word talking about how do things end. Um, but this is a little bit of theology that I think is worth, worth thinking about. He makes this point. In an apocalyptic moment, it is if, as it is generally conceived, the future seems closed, inevitable, and inescapable. Since the future cannot be averted, that's the apocalypse that's on us, Apocalyptic can only call people to personal repentance so that after the catastrophe, they might survive to enjoy heaven or a transfigured earth. Now, I grew up in that kind of theology. I imagine a lot of you did. It was a kind of a theology of escapism. This world is going to blow up. I actually thought it was going to blow up a moment ago when Phil Jakes, I thought, was making an announcement about the Super Bowl. (laughs) I was like, this is a sign that we should take cover. Uh, There's probably a zombie coming through the door right now. uh, But we heard you wrong, Phil. We're safe for another hour or two. But that's kind of what Walter Wink is saying is the apocalyptic breeds this mindset of escapism. How can we get out of the place that we're in because it's, it's, it's going to be not perfect? Now, for those of you who are theological people, we, that, I actually use that term differently, and I imagine you do, but that's the way he's using it. Um, eschatology, by contrast, regards the future as open, undetermined, and capable of being changed if people alter their behavior in time. The urgency of the great prophets of the Old Testament came from their conviction that catastrophe need not happen, that even a small deviation from the course toward doom might alter it. We run into that theology a little bit if you read the book of Jonah, where Jonah had no hope of change and gave kind of the weakest sermons I've ever heard in my whole life, but somehow the people of Nineveh changed and God's will changed. So he's saying that this imagines a future that could be different and our collaboration being significant. He continues, 
Eschatology is concerned about the goal of humanity and the world. Apocalyptic is consumed with the actual end of the planet Earth as it is presently constituted. Prophetic eschatology is ruthlessly realistic. Something must happen, yet incurably hopeful. Apocalyptic has abandoned hope and looks for divine, miraculous intervention. So the invitation is to read this text, if we're using Wink's words, not apocalyptically, like the stars are falling and they're falling on me, but more eschatologically of um, we are being invited into something that is radically different, a transformation of world that we live in due to the presence of Christ, the presence of kingdom, the presence of spirit, and we are being invited to be collaborative to that. And as a final thought on this, um, there's a couple of things that are haunting about this text. One is simply this kingdom of God thing in texts like this is not presented as something that is distant, far away. Luke may have actually been looking at the fall of Jerusalem and the fall of the temple. He might have been looking back when he wrote this. But in Jesus' mouth, the words come out like this, near. This will be near. And in Jesus' mouth, the words come out like this generation, not us. 2,000 years back will not pass away before these things come to be. And if you noticed in the text, there's a really odd dualism of what we might be invited to do in the text. In one sense, we're told to avoid distraction. That seems pretty safe. Susan, tomorrow when you're working, avoid some distraction, okay? Stay off of Pandora. Stay off of shopping. You know, be a scholar all day long tomorrow for 10 hours. Avoid. That seems safe. We all need to do a little more of that. Um, Now, obviously, it means that more seriously. And then there's another level of this, praying to escape. Get me out of here type of prayer. And it's interesting, that final verb in the text, uh, if you'll look at the very bottom where it says, I think it's be alert to all things, praying that you might have. There's a word in the New Testament for prayer that's often a discipline word. It's a word where Jesus is instructing people in prayer. This is not that word. This is the word for begging, pleading, screaming, oh my God, please intervene at this moment. Um, And so this is interesting. I think to some degree, we're being asked to do a couple of different things here. The praying and begging might fit fairly well with the rich young ruler that Jesus is asking for radical transformation in our lives. is for us to say, maybe we realize that nuancing things isn't the right thing to do. That the kingdom of God literally, in the metaphors of this text, changes the world utterly that we're in. And we ourselves might be resistant to that change. And so as a result, we are begging to participate. We're begging to be found in that kingdom. We're pleading to be a part of this incredibly jubilee, beloved community, justice type of life. Because we know that one of the biggest problems in forming that world is me. I would like to fight against that because I might lose something in it. So part of us is we're being asked in Advent to practice that kind of pleading, making ourselves open to change that goes well beyond our comfort zone. And then another act is a little bit different. It gets to the distraction side of things, and it's the notion of being alert, which in my mind is one of the deep spiritual terms of the New Testament. It's this idea of things are happening and will you see them? 
How many times have been there been incredibly beneficial, gracious, good, presence of God things, and I have missed them because I am not alert? Or in other words, I'm looking for something that's entirely different. And so this is, I think, is what Luke leaves us with, is an invitation to practice that prepares us for Advent and prepares us not for the kind of cuddly, soft Advent that Tim is singing about tonight or that we are talking about tonight, is as we've always understood here, its expectation is bigger than that. And it's not cuddly. It's something that is not tameable at times. And our play in that expectation is a couple things. One is a radical inventory that asks ourselves to utterly be on the side of change. And then another thing puts us in that old Jesus story about wheat and tares, where Jesus talks about the wheat growing and the weeds growing in the same field. The idea that even though evil, injustice, prejudice, all sorts of things grow in our world and are thriving. There's wheat around them. And are we in the spiritual mindset so that we see wheat Rather than just the tares. So that's our invitation in this text, I think, this week, is to be people who are alert, vigilant, disciplined, seeing that which is the goodness of God in our world, where, and also people who are radical enough to literally see that the world and that comes, the justice that Jesus brings, is radically transformative. And we might even be the opponents of that unless we are pleading to be on the side of those good works. Tim, if you would lead us in confession and absolution tonight. So, uh, as ever, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here this evening. And, uh, thank you. Uh, so it, we, the very brief uh, communication, the exchange of emails that I had with Ben leading up to this, I, I, I offered this as an idea without really thinking too much about it, but it, I was saying that it, I find this song coming to mind uh, a, a lot for me these days when I find myself at home listening, I'll be washing up and doing something around the house, listening to the, the, world, the BBC World Service. As more news comes in from Syria, I, I, was just, I, I find myself reminded of these, the words of this song again and again. So this is why you're hearing it tonight.
But my home's in the lowlands And will always be Someday you'll return To your valleys and your farms And you'll know I'm the burn to be brothers in Through these fields of destruction Baptisms of fire I've witnessed your suffering As the battle raged high And though they did not hurt me so bad In the fear and alone Okay, so, to take us home tonight, Bob Dylan from the uh, album Oh Mercy.
there are so many, so many albums of Bob Dylan's that, and, and so many of his songs that, that I love and that I, I return to every day. Uh, if you're not that familiar with, with Oh Mercy, it it's, it's, has some beautiful songs on it. And it also has some very strange enunciation from Bob Dylan as well. If you listen to his enunciation on, on this, it kind of sounds like he's <clears throat> a little bit like Christopher Walken on, with some of the lines, but it's a beautiful song. Again, thanks for having me here. Ring them bells ye hear them from the city that dreams Ring them bells from the sanctuaries across the valleys and streams For they're deep and they're wide And the world's on its side And time is running backwards And so is the bride St. Peter where the four winds blow Ring them bells with an iron hand So the people will know That it's rush hour now On the wheel and the plow And the sun is going down upon the sacred cow Ring them bells, sweet Martha, for the poor man's son. Ring them bells so the world will know that God is one. And the shepherds asleep where the willows weep. And the mountains are filled with lost sheep. Ring them bells. For the blind and the deaf Ring them bells For all of those who are left Ring them bells For the chosen few Who will judge the many When the game is through Ring them bells For the time that flies for the child that cries when innocence dies. Ring them bells, St. Catherine, from the top of the room. Ring them for the fortress, for the lilies that bloom, and the lines along. Fighting is strong And they're breaking down The distance Between right And wrong
this place an expectation for all that is to come. May we leave this place open to being willing to be more alert in our world. If you haven't partaken at the table, please do the mulled wine. I have been waiting in expectation for this mulled wine since I came, and it does not disappoint. So please go to the table if you haven't. Have a wonderful evening. Go in peace.